Well, good morning. Greetings and salutations to you all on this fine, fine second Sunday of Advent for those of you who are worshiping online and uh, worshiping with us on the telephone. It is so good to get to be here together. Uh, if you're on the phone and you don't recognize my voice, my name is Doug Baker. I'm one of the pastors here at Community, and uh, we get to spend some time together digging in God's Word and exploring Advent together, the march toward Christmas, which is what Advent is. Uh, Christmas is like uh, the, the celebration, and Advent is the invitation. And so as we unpack Advent this year, we're digging into some themes, uh, some spiritual heartbeat of Christmas to kind of get us ready uh, for that celebration. Uh, last week, we talked about expectation, that something is coming, Christmas, and uh, we know it. We look forward to it. We know it's going to happen deep down in our guts. We believe it. And so we're going to respond appropriately. Uh, we don't have to wonder if God's going to do this. We know that the light is coming and the darkness will flee. We know that Jesus and all that Christmas entails is a part of the story. And so uh, we can expect it. Uh, we can act as if it's true. Now, that's different than our topic for today. Today, we're going to be exploring uh, the next step in this. Last week was believing good news, no matter what our circumstances. Does God fulfill his promises? And uh, as Elizabeth said to Mary, blessed are you if you, that you have believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to you. Blessed are you. For believing in him. So today, we take the next step. Today, our word is preparation. Uh, preparation is what you do with expectation. We know, we believe something is coming. Now, what do we do? How do we respond? What action do we take so that our lives align with where we know the story goes? Because things have to change. When you know something is going to be true, to prepare for it, we have to shift what's normal. We have to shift what we, what we do. We have to uh, eliminate the obstacles along the path so that we can actually get to where God wants us to be, that destination that he promises. What do we have to change? To answer those questions today, we're going to be digging into God's word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. And uh, I want to tell you the story. I want to introduce you to a person. I want you to hear a little bit about someone whose entire life was preparation. His sole reason for being alive. We're going to be hearing about John the baptizer today. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start right here at verse 1. Hear this, God's word. In those days, John the baptizer came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying... Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now John's clothes were made of camel hair, and he had a, a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But then he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing. And he said to them, uh, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit 
in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, oh, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Advent and this season of preparation. We thank you that we can gather together today and dig into, hear what it is you have to say to us um, through your word, through this moment with someone who lived long before us, a young man by the name of John. Help us to understand who he was, what you called him to, and how our lives are impacted by that. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a guy named John. His whole life was about preparing the way for Jesus. In fact, because that was supposed to be his life, he spent a lot of time preparing to be the preparer. Wrap your mind around that. John is the second cousin of Jesus. This is the same guy who leaped in his mother's womb when Mary spoke. He was created for a mission. He was born. He drew breath to prepare the way for the Messiah, to make straight the paths for the Lord. And he spoke of it. Repent, repent. After me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Are you ready, he's asking, for the kingdom of God to come in its fullness? Are you ready to meet the one who will change your life? Are you ready to meet the one who will change all of creation forever, prepare yourselves, prepare yourselves for Christmas to meet Jesus, the incarnation. He was preparing the way for the Lord. John made his life about that mission. His whole life was about the reason God had created him, and he had to spend time. He had to make choices to be prepared to be the preparer. It cost him to live that life. It was uncomfortable. It was not uh, the kind of life that we would typically uh, describe when we think of the kind of life that we have. I mean, so often we read these stories and we think, yes, that's the way it should be. But we forget that, that, that these folks were real people with real emotions. They felt things. They thought things. They believed things. They struggled with things. And here is John, and he had a purpose in his life, and he lived into that purpose. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't hard. It doesn't mean that it was not uncomfortable for him. His experience of life, how he lived, what he chose day in and day out so that he could be a part of Christmas. And I don't mean Christmas, the holiday we celebrate. I mean Christmas, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the, the incarnation, God present with us is what I mean when I say Christmas.
John the baptizer had what we would probably label as a very small, a very restricted, a very unappealing life. He didn't get to have so many of the things that we expect from a normal life. He didn't get to choose some nice clothes. We're told exactly what he wore. It sounds itchy. He didn't get to have his favorite foods unless locusts and wild honey made him super happy. There was no banquette for him. He didn't get to have a family. He didn't have a wife. He didn't get to have kids. There was not going to be grandkids to bounce on his knee someday, just like everybody else had. And he knew that. He had none of what we typically identify as important for a good life. But he did mold his existence around the role that God had in mind for him. Listen to how he describes his life and what it means to live for him into the call of God. He says this in the Gospel of John chapter 3. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. He must become greater, and I must become less. He was just just a pastor's kid, and he grew up poor, and he taught people about repentance, turn away from the path of brokenness and and walk the path of the Lord. He talked about how someone greater than him was coming, And then, as a young man, he was killed because he spoke truth. And somebody didn't like that. And that was his whole life. That's it. And that's not popular. That's that's not something that we think of when we think of, yeah, what does it mean to have a life of faith? We like the idea of lives of faith. We like the idea of doing big things for Jesus, you know, big differences. We like big stories. This this is not typically, the, the story of John is not typically, other than his baptism of Jesus, a story we gravitate to as a model of Christian faith. I want to be just like him. We don't. No, we like the big stories, the giants of the faith, big stories with big experiences and big miracles. We like Noah and a big boat facing down a big flood. And, and, and we like Moses and big miracles and big plagues and, and mountaintop experiences with God. And, and, and we love Daniel and a den of big lions. And we like uh, David and... And a big giant, Goliath. Like these are the stories of faith. These are the life-changing, big, moving God stuff that we want to talk about. We tell our kids and we do the flannel graph stuff with. I can say that to this group because you know what that means. I won't say that to the younger crowd. And we love that because isn't there a part of us that want to make big waves for Jesus? And in the face of all that, John's life can seem very small. But here's the amazing thing about that reality, John's life being small. I'm not saying it wasn't. It was small. But here's the beauty of it. The smallness of John's life down here made it absolutely clear the bigness of Jesus, the supremacy of Christ. And that's the point. His whole reason for being alive was to prepare the way for Christmas, for Jesus to be present. 
Everything that he was a part of, everything he participated in was to be a tool in God's hands so that the name of Jesus could be known. It's what he wanted from life. He wanted it enough. He was willing to set aside everything else so that Jesus could be number one. That's what he wanted from his life. More than he might have wanted a family because that's what he chose. More than he wanted to be able to wear some nice cotton (laughs) or linen. We know he wanted that more because that's what he chose. What do we want from life? What do you want from life? I think about all the things that I've wanted to accomplish in my life the hopes and the dreams I've nurtured and run after. Sometimes, sometimes when I think about the things that I want, I'll, I'll justify, like, you know what, I really want this thing, but you know what, and then I put like Christian wrapping paper around my dreams to, to make them seem, to make me feel better about my motivations, but usually the things that I've wanted are my own happiness, my own comfort, my own fame, my own prestige. When I started in ministry 20 years ago, I started a nice small church and I thought, hey, I'm a pretty cool guy. I'm a great young pastor. I'm going to come in, and this place is going to go gangbusters, and we're going to grow this. This is going to be like the number one church in Hayward, Iowa. And then it didn't happen. And that was hard. I, I was struggling with that. I've always wanted to be a giant of the faith, to walk with some profound and dynamic path that would cause millions to whisper with awe and wonder the name Doug Baker. And of course, they would hear Jesus too. I confess this. This is true. I struggle with this. I battle every single day to maintain humility. Because while I use words about how I want to be about Jesus, there is a big part of me that wants my accolades too. Could I be as okay as John was with a small life? Because I need to be. I need to be. Small lives are what are true. The Bible is very clear that we are simply fleeting. Listen to a couple of passages about how temporary we are. Psalm 39, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath. Even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. Or this from 1 Peter, all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Folks, can I I tell you something that scares the dickens out of me 
and gives me great comfort at the same time? In 50 years, very few will remember I ever existed. In 100 years, even less. 200, 500 years from now, no one will know who I am. And that's good. That reminds me that all of the things, the, the stuff I try and accumulate, the, the motorcycles I want in my garage, all of the things that are super important to me, all the things that I was passionate about and, and, and railed on, all of the politics and, and all of the preferences, all these things will eventually mean nothing. And that's good, because that reminds me today that if I want anything that I do to matter for eternity, then what I do needs to be about the Lord Jesus Christ, period. The reminder of the smallness of John, the reminder of my temporary fleetingness is a gift because it reorients me to what actually matters. And I get to ask today, I get to say, what can I do today? What can I do today while I'm alive and I have a choice to help the people around me connect to the only one whose name is worth remembering? What is God calling us to do today to share in his work and to represent the name that will never perish, spoil, or fade? How are you being prepared for a life of Christmas so that you can be a part of proclaiming the name of Jesus every single day, to be uh, the, the one who proclaims that Jesus Christ is all that matters because he and the life he gives are the only thing that lasts for eternity. How is Jesus your great proclamation? Nothing else we pursue, nothing else we do or strive for will eventually matter. Nothing else but him. And how far are we willing to go to walk that path that leads to him? Okay, so all of this is wonderful. This is great in theory. I, I, I say these things and we wonder, okay, so what does that mean? That means that today you get a chance to ask yourselves, to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and show you how you can prepare for a life of Christmas, a life of incarnation, a life where Jesus Christ is your great proclamation. Ask him. I know people who do. I know somebody who, uh, who uh, a, a couple who sold their boat they loved their boat. Their family went out and hung out a lot on their boat. They sold their boat because they knew that maintaining a boat, I guess maintaining a boat takes time and money. And it was taking too much time away from cool ministry stuff that they could do. They felt convicted about it. And so they just sold their boat. 
I know, I know someone else who, who would always turn down promotions at work, even though it would have meant more money, it would have meant benefits, it would have, but it would have meant more responsibility. They turned it down because it would take them away from the things that really mattered to them more than the money and the benefits. What is God asking of you to prepare you to be a part of his great message? Only you can answer this question. I can't tell you what it is. You have to ask this question. You've got to prayerfully seek this answer. Is God asking you to take a new job? Because the current one is a distraction. It's taking up too much of your time, of your effort. Is that possible? Are you being asked to downsize your stuff? Because everything that we own also owns us? Are we being asked to unplug from social media? Because oftentimes we're surprised at just how unchristian the things are that come from our fingertips. Are we being asked to change our friend group? I knew a young man uh, back in Iowa who became a Christian uh, while I was there and immediately told all of his friends, I can't hang out with you anymore uh, because if I hang out with you, I won't lead a Christian life. And so he just, he stopped hanging out with his friends because they, they were at a bar crowd and they were pretty raucous and they wanted to not remember every weekend. Are you being asked to move across the country? Are you being asked to get involved in church? I mean, what is it that God is asking from you so that you can be a part of more than just the experiences of this life? How is God asking you to be prepared for a life of Christmas? These are just examples. I don't know what he's saying to you. You have to ask that question. But to offer hope and to remind you that sometimes the asks that God make today don't pay off. It doesn't become clear how, why, he, what he was asking today. Uh, you won't find out until way in the future. I'm gonna, we're going to end our time together. I'm going to tell you a story. And it's not a story of somebody else. It's not a story uh, of a complete stranger who lived 200 years ago. This one's personal. I love movies. One of the coolest things I got to do in seminary while also learning the Bible was work at Blockbuster. I grew up when VHS was basically being invented. I grew up when getting a VHS player was prohibitive because they were expensive. Yes, that $25 piece of technology you could get at Walmart just in the last decade used to be hundreds and hundreds of dollars. You remember that. Like my uncle, my rich uncle was the only one who had a VHS player. But every, there were some weekends, we, we didn't have a lot of money, so it would only occasionally happen. Some weekends we would go to the local video store and we would rent a VCR and then we would get like eight or ten movies and binge it for the weekend. Oh, this is how my family hung out. Like this is, we, we spent time together. We enjoyed movies and the storytelling and, and kind of picking it apart. And, and, and was that a 50-foot marshmallow man? Whoa! That's Ghostbusters, by the way. And then when Laura and I started dating, Laura and I have been together now for 25 years. And when we started dating... Uh, we would go to movies together, mostly because I, I loved it. I, I thought this was a great way to be together. And Independence Day, one of the first movies that we got to see together. 
And something that kind of emerged in that time is that Laura would be impacted by movies way more than I was. Like, uh, they would, high highs and low lows, and like she would weep when things weren't even sad. But, like, the woman has a high empathy level. And as our years together progressed, she started pulling back from what she was willing to watch. Some movies, some TV would just mess with her, and she didn't like it. And that made me grumpy. I was grumpy about that. Um, and I would express my, my grumpitude. <laughs> because it was messing with one of the ways I felt like we connected. And it, also, it meant that if we were in the living room together, because this is, you know, we're, we're poor and we don't have anything, so we have one TV, it's in the living room, we're sitting there, and I'm watching a movie, and she's like, uh, can, can you just turn that off? This is messing with me. And I'm like, well, you can leave. She's like, what? This is my living room, too. This is a good thing about marrying a stubborn woman. Like, she ain't putting up with that. <laughs> and then, then you get the, ah, fine. And then it progresses, right? Then, then there's a man cave, and, but then there's a sound bar, and it's a little too loud, and she would call down to the basement, hey, I can hear that. Would you mind turning it down? Ah, fine. And I wondered why she was changing the rules and changing my life because of her preferences. See, I thought it was just a preference. But she was not only experiencing a desire not to be emotionally jerked around, but she was feeling conviction on God, from God in her that this was not a part of his plan for her life. To have her emotions jerked around by movies and TV. And even when I made it difficult, she stuck to her guns. And we've gotten to navigate this over the years. And, and she's had to cope with more than a few exasperated sighs and eye rolls from her husband. And we were talking just this past August. Because... Just in the last year, Laura has started living into her role as a professional counselor. And as we were talking this past August, she was remarking about how the reduced exposure to fabricated emotional stories, TV and movies, kept her empathy from being dulled down through the years. It was a sharp tool in her toolbox as she was helping other people walk through hard moments in life. She got to be a more effective counselor because of this journey we were on. And I'm not saying that all counselors have to do this. I'm not saying this is the only way to be prepared to be a counselor. But for Laura, my wife, this was her call to help others. This is what God wanted from her. And she was required to walk that path, even though I made it difficult, for 25 years before she got to do the thing God was preparing for her to do. She was being prepared. For 25 years, she had to hold her ground and do what was different than me and many around us to safeguard her heart so that when people who needed her empathy would be able to receive it, and then they, through her, would have access to the love of Jesus Christ. 
People get to see Jesus through Laura when she's counseling them because of the time that she spent being prepared. Not just going to school, but 25 years of guarding her heart. That's an example. It's one example. I promise you, God has something in mind for you too. He has an idea for your life to prepare you to be a part of the Christmas story, to be a part of the declaration of the incarnation of Jesus in this world. I promise you. And it might come at a cost. What is God preparing for you to be a part of? How is God preparing you? What is he asking of you so that Jesus and what Jesus is doing can be the biggest thing in your life? Hmm. Let's pray. Almighty God, Holy Father, thank you so much for your encouragement and for your strength. Thank you so much for meeting us in this moment. Give us courage. Give us courage to hear as you challenge us. Give us courage to listen to the ways that you would prepare us to be a part of the Christmas story, the presence of the incarnation the work of Jesus Christ in this world, in the world around us. Give us courage to have small lives so that the name of Jesus can be first. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.